I, I have this nightmare of writing like a chapter book that's 500 pages long. <laughs> you know, like, that's everyone's nightmare. Hello, this is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I am Barry Liga. With me is Morgan Baden. Let's get started. Morgan, how are you? I'm good. Let's do it. We're back. We are back. We unexpected an, break. We took another unexpected break. Listen, is it, is, it's is the it, life of parents. Is it because we don't love our audience, Morgan? Yes, but I don't want to say that. Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting you to go there. <laughs> All right. Well, never no. mind then. I love the audience. Yeah. You don't, That's but I do. That's probably true. Okay. So let's talk. The first thing I want to talk about is a piece that was in the New York Times recently. We will put a link in the show notes uh, called Moneyball for Book Publishers, a detailed look at how we read. This is really interesting. Longtime listeners will remember that way back in episode 15, so almost a year ago, in the episode The One Where Leia Flirts, we talked about a Netflix program mm-hmm. whereby Netflix can tell when people pause watching something, when they stop watching something. Um, they can get all sorts of metrics on people's viewing habits, right? And they were using this to to inform their creators, like, this is how you should make your TV show. This is how you should make your show for maximum impact and maximum viewability. Like, 60% of viewers are stopping watching right. when... At uh, this point or that yeah. point or whatever. And we talked about uh, my fear that this would come to book publishing, mm-hmm. and I believe you said it wouldn't. And I said, when it does, I will burn the industry down on my way out. <laughs> and I think a lot of people laughed at me. And now it's in the New York Times. It is here, people. It is happening. Um, but there are some caveats. There are some caveats, but still, yeah. it has begun. Yeah. Uh, a company called Jelly Books uh, basically has been doing all sorts of research. We won't get into the details of, of how they do it because you can read the article if you want. But basically, it's the Netflix model transferred to ebooks. It's, gee, people stop reading generally at page 50 mm-hmm. or at page 65 or whatever. And they give this information to the publishers. And there's one example cited where people weren't even getting through the first five chapters of a book that a publisher had put out. And the publisher had paid a lot of money for this book. And they got metrics back from Jelly Book saying nobody's getting past chapter five. Wow. And the publisher pulled the marketing budget for the book. Yeah. Just said, oh, well, we just won't promote this book anymore. Yeah. I have to say, you sent me this link to read in preparation for recording this podcast. So I was reading it already, like, on edge, knowing, like, okay, there's got... What is it in here that Barry's going to be reacting to? And um, I was kind of pleasantly surprised because where my mind was going, the whole... Most of the article was, oh, now publishing is going to start to become an industry where... Uh, the product itself is affected before anyone else has even read it. So, like, they're going to be changing the product oh, based sure. on past product. Like, right. future products will be changed yep. based on past yeah. product. But what I actually found really interesting and kind of reassuring was at the end of the, the article where um, Jelly Books said, or the article said, that really what's going to happen, what, what a, a program like this will do is change marketing not necessarily the acquisitions process. So, like, publishers, editors are still going to be acquiring books according to their own tastes and and the house's tastes and whatever, but data from a program like this will help influence how marketing dollars are spent, which I think is really interesting. I think that is interesting, and that... I'm ambivalent about that usage, to be honest with you. Really? I think that's a benefit. But... 
I think it is naive of them to say that that will be its usage. I think publishing has become an industry like any other. It is becoming more and more data-driven. And I think that this will eventually work its way into acquisitions mm. and work its way into the editorial process. I don't see how it can't, to be honest with you. I just, I just don't. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have friends in Hollywood who tell me horror stories about the way that, you know, agents and managers have systems and algorithms set up for how large their client's face needs to be on the movie poster wow. in order to guarantee a certain return. And so, I mean, crazy stuff like that. Like yeah. if the font isn't this big, then X happens. X happens. Yeah. And if it is this big, this, I mean, they've got this all worked out and they micromanage every yeah. jot and tittle of, of, of the poster and everything else involved. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, that once people get more and more data, I can foresee a day. I'm not saying it's going to be tomorrow. I'm not saying it's going to be five years from now, but I can easily foresee a day where an editor is looking at a book and goes, Oh, um, you know, the love interest is killed in chapter five. Our metrics show that when you kill the love interest before chapter 10, people stop reading the book. So we're not going to buy this book or we're going to tell the author, you got to move the death mm-hmm. of the love interest to later. That's a bad example probably because why would you kill the love, love interest that early anyway? But you know what I'm saying? Um, it, it, it does concern me. And it also, you know, I think publishing houses take risks on things because they believe in them. And I think that, when you have data coming back telling you, oh, this book you spent a lot of money on and that you believed on, people aren't finishing it, um, it's very easy to then be doubtful and to think, oh, I guess I was wrong. It's not a good book after all. We'll pull all of our money and cut our losses when maybe you just haven't gotten in front of the right audience yet. Well, that's the thing. You know, and maybe you should actually double your marketing budget. Or, and, or and, again, change your marketing. Right. So yeah. in other words, I'm worried that they're going to take the wrong lessons from this. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what concerns me. Yeah. Which is always possible, of course. And you know, there's two sort of thoughts here. One is death by data. Like, right. obviously uh, we are quickly reaching the point where we're all just going to be super bored of data, hopefully at some point. Um, because there's only, I don't know, there's a, that's a lot of data. I mean, there, as it is now, when I read on my e-reader, if it's a book that I've purchased directly through Amazon, because uh, I have a Kindle, um, I can see people, how many people, like the actual number of other Amazon Kindle users who have highlighted this sentence. Yeah. And like, I actually find that really distracting. Yeah. That's a different story. That's a different data story. But um, but I'm, I, I want to push back a little bit here because already publishing is driven by data. It's just different data. Well, of course. It's driven by sales. Yeah. The interesting thing is that all that sales data is wrong, right? It's not accurate. Oh, sure. Yeah. So this whole time... Should we talk talk about why for people who don't know? Sure. I mean, you know, um, basically the the best data that publishers have available to them is from something called BookScan, which is a a data gathering service. I guess that's the best... Would you say that's the most accurate way to describe it? A data gathering service that works at point of sale. Mm -hmm. Because when publishers sell... when, When a book goes into a bookstore... The publisher gets money from the bookstore for that copy, but they have no idea if the bookstore actually ever sells it or not. And it's possible, depending on various things, that the bookstore could send it back someday and get credit back from the publisher. And the publisher has no way of knowing, except they get this book scan data that actually says, nope, this, this number of books were actually purchased at a cash register. Mm-hmm. 
And you would think, oh, well, then that's fine. That tells you everything you need to know. The problem is not every venue that sells books subscribes to BookScan. Right. As a result, I mean, depending on what kind of an author you are, depending on where most of your sales are, depending on a variety of factors, you your book scan numbers can be dramatically right. out of proportion to your actual sales. Right. Uh, you know, my agent at one point did did a breakdown of all of my books. And she went through and she compared the book scan numbers to the actual royalty statements that I got back from publishers, uh-huh. which the royalty statements you would think are more accurate because the publisher's not going to pay me a royalty on a book if they're that not 100% yeah. sure that somebody bought that book. And she found out that for the most part, the book scan numbers were off by a factor of two to three. Wow. So I was selling two to three times more books than book, than scan, book scan would indicate. Yeah. Now, this is not revolutionary or insane or anything. Most authors are selling more than book scan. More than book scan. Mm-hmm. The problem is that everybody uses book scan right. as their basis. And they all say, oh, we take it into account. But if you're looking at somebody's numbers and you go, oh, this book 50, sold 50,000, even if you kind of know in your head that it probably sold 100 to 150,000. On paper, it says 50. On paper, it says 50. Yeah. And you base everything on that because yeah. you're a human being. Yeah. And it's the only solid number you've got, especially when you're going across publishers. So that's, that's where that comes from. So anyway, I guess my point is the data are, the data they're already using to make acquisitions and to set marketing campaigns is flawed. Yeah. So I'm actually looking on the bright side here and saying, or thinking better data hopefully leads to better decisions. I mean, we, we see this every time when vampire books come out, every publisher sees the numbers on book scan of other vampire novels and makes their acquisitions accordingly and, and their payments and their marketing dollars, um, dystopia, et cetera, et cetera. So, so again, I almost think that this is, I'd rather have good data. I'd rather have more good data than less bad data. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not sure that that's, that that's the decision that we're making here between those two between the, I'm okay. not sure those are the two alternatives we have to choose from. Um, you know, I think in this case, I think this model is incredibly flawed sure. and I think it is going to give us more flawed data and the perception will be, but it's more data. Yeah. So that's good. Well, and you know, for example, do we know if ebook readers read differently than print book? We readers? do know that. We already and, know that. Yeah. And, and yet, and there's no way to do the same metrics and people, on people who read, read print books. Yeah. So, and people who read on both e-readers and print read different types of books right. in each area. And yeah, there's lots of caveats and, there, of and, and I'm just worried that in an industry that is generally, for lack of a better word, and maybe I'm overstating it, but is generally data starved, yeah. I feel like any available data will be accorded an importance that is out of proportion to its actual accuracy. That's what I worry about. Two things. Number one, look at television. If we're going to use that comparison, their data is Nielsen ratings, which are so deeply flawed, right? And everyone knows that. And that's still the data marker that they use. So it's it's similar right now. And that's that's a problem too, because look at what happens in TV. Right. And that's, and look at what's happened with the rise of streaming television and YouTube and et cetera, which is probably a direct result of the fact that the Network television airs TV that a lot of people don't want to watch, but they think they do. Um, But secondly, I think there's a lot of opportunity here that the article sort of touched on. And I want to get your thoughts on this because I would think that you would like this. This idea that if, let's say, a book is showing that most people are stopping reading it at chapter five, but 
the team behind that book knows that if you just get to chapter seven, where there's this amazing <laughs> twist, right. you'll hang in there. And maybe the data shows that those people who do make it past that bump... Get all the way to the end. Exactly. And then rave about it yeah. and give it five stars. Whatever. I'm intrigued by this notion, then, that the team could swoop in and change the marketing plan. Right. And immediately be like, okay, the message isn't, buy this book, it's great. The message is, buy this book and definitely, like, just stick it out through the first version. Well, not, not even that, but but buy this book, you won't believe the twist. Exactly. Or something yeah. like that, yeah. you know, that will get people who get to chapter five going, oh, I'll, I'll keep going to see what the twist is. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I guess I could see that. I just, you know, I'm, I'm I old mean, first school, of man. All, I'm also taking, like... I think a lot of marketing is crap. As somebody who worked in marketing for 10 years, thank you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. But it's true. No, I mean, like, I there's think there's marketing so little... and then there's marketing. No, there's there capital is. M marketing and then there's marketing. No, I mean, there's 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 marketing that is done just so that you can say you did it. Right. And it's real. It's and, ineffective, and, right. but it's been done forever, and, so that's and, what you do. And then there's whatever. marketing that is actually clever and yes. sensible and, yeah. and all that. So, so I guess I'm excited to see maybe some more inventive marketing rise out I'm, of this kind of data. I'm always in favor of that. Yeah. Always in favor of that. The, the one thing that really freaked me out about this piece uh, is that in the books that they tested, only 5% of them were finished by three quarters or more of the readers. Wow. Now, again, again, I don't know which books they were testing. I don't know what yeah. kind of readers. I have no idea about any of that. But just that just sent shivers down yeah. my spine. And you can tell that I'm upset because I'm actually drinking alcohol as we're recording. You are. You're drinking. Well, I want to clarify for the audience here. You're hey. drinking hard soda. It, yes, hard soda. It says Not, cont- you know, whiskey. It says contains alcohol. There you go. It's 4.2% alcohol by volume, folks. <laughs> so I'm feeling pretty frisky. Anyway... <laughs> That's how upset I am. I'm drinking. <laughs> but I you know, and I'm sure there's lots of interesting stuff we can learn from this. It does work again, I'm worried because publishing is so data starved, I'm worried they're just gonna grab onto yeah. this and treat it as gospel as opposed to, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can do something with that. Yeah. That's all. Okay. That's all. I am curious about people's thoughts now on data and publishing in general. Like, do you think more data is a good thing? I, w- I would love, you know, here's what I would love. I know there are people who work in publishing mm-hmm. who listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear from them and have them tell us what data in a, in a dream world would, where, they, have? would yeah. they have. What information would they be able to have before they buy a book yeah. and after they publish it? What what information would they, you know, just assume everybody has a chip embedded in their head. So even if people are reading a print book, you can get this data. What would you like to know? And if you want to be anonymous, that's fine. You can email us anonymously or just say, hey, don't, don't you know, refer to me or whatever. I I would love to know that information. That's a really cool question. I, I'm thinking about it. I think it would be great. I would love to know. And even like as a reader, what would I want to tell the publishers? Sure. That's yeah. You know what? And we'll turn it around. If you're, if you're a reader, if you don't work in publishing, but you want to tell us, Hey, this is what I wish I could tell publishers. Mm-hmm. Let us know. Yeah. Cause we know publishers. We'll tell them for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to talk about something we've hinted at before in the past. We sort of danced around the edges of it, but it has to do with this idea that I think is very common in most people's minds. The idea that time equals quality. Yes. What do you think about that? Yes. It, 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 the longer you work on something, is it better? No, necessarily? of course not. Listen, okay. and I want to tell, I think that I've told this story. I don't know, but very quickly. Um, so it won't be good because you're going to go fast. Oh, <laughs> oh. No, listen, my sister's roommate, freshman year of college, um, 
did not have great study habits. I think she's a, a smart person, but she just didn't have great study habits. And we would, she would sit there with her textbooks open while we were hanging out in the room, like multiple right. people, reality bites was on whatever. And then she would get her grade back and, and complain because she would actually say like, I studied for four hours on this. <laughs> I can't believe I got a D. Right. And we would be like, no, no, you didn't. <laughs> you, you had a book, right, but you didn't yeah. do anything with so it. So anyway, so yeah, this idea that, it, yes, it's absolutely not about, like, the quality does not increase the longer it takes you to do something. Why do we feel like it does? I don't know. I mean, there, there's a comic book creator, a guy named John Byrne, and he refers to it as the growing roses Ah. notion which is this idea that the longer you take on something the better it has to be yeah and and he he completely poo-poos that and you know says you know you can look at my work and i guarantee you you can't tell how long i spent on anything um well and also this is interesting because it relates to writing of course but it also relates to a lot of other areas of life including work and this idea that if you're in the office from nine to eight you are doing infinitely better work than someone who's there from nine to five. Right. Um, and just as a, as a parent, obviously that's intriguing to me because um, my time in the office is shorter now than it used to be, but I get a lot more done yeah. because I think becoming a parent makes you um, use your time much more efficiently. Sure. So, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, th- this seems like something that particularly in the creative endeavors, in the arts, mm-hmm. this is a, something that's almost just accepted as gospel truth yeah um you know do you think it is though i feel i i I just i feel like subconsciously people just assume it like i i sort of wonder like if donna tardy come out with the goldfinch a year after her last book would people have been as excited about it would they have have gushed about it as much but the fact that it was so long yeah they just go oh she must have crafted every word i bet she handpicked the font you know and it's just it's strange and and i it was so ingrained in me for a long time. I remember in college, I actually cheated on this. I was in one of my creative writing classes and, you know, we had read somebody else's story uh, one week and they talked about how they spent so much time. Like they spent the, okay. whole, the whole summer working on this short story, blah, blah, blah. And I cranked out like in a day and a half, my short story. Oh my God. And I was like, nobody's going to take it seriously. Yeah. Like, blah, blah, blah. And so I remember... Uh, Stephen King does this thing in his books where at the end of the book, he will put when he worked on it. Oh, that's so he'll cool. put like where he was and, and how long it took. So he'll put, you know, Bangor, Maine, you know, June 1984 through, you know, September 1985, whatever it was. So I did that at the, at cool. the end of my story. And I lied. <sighs> I made it look like I'd been working on it for like three or four weeks at least. <laughs> and it was a day and a half. And it was a fine story. But I felt... I felt like the pressure to expand. Like if I hadn't, I felt like there was a correlation between the length of time spent on it and the quality of the story. Here's the thing. I think that if you, yeah, I think you raise some eyebrows. If you say I produced this, this work of art in a day. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And I'm not saying that it, it, I'm saying the perception isn't necessarily a bad thing because I do think that for most people, the idea around something creative is that you have to let it sit for a little bit and then revisit it and then maybe let it sit for a little bit more and then perfect it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like there needs to be some space there. Um, and so maybe that's where that, that perception comes from. But of course there's, you know, everything in moderation. Like I don't, I'm not interested in reading a short story that took a year to write. <laughs> that sounds terrible actually. No, that's not true. 
I'm totally interested in that. I'm just saying I'm not interested in this, like, idea that you suffered for a year well, that's just to it. write this story and, when it took you a month. And, and I also question, you know, if you, you know, what does it mean to say it took me a year to write this short that's story? That's the thing. Were I've you working, working on it the whole time? Right. You, you just I've been said working on an essay. Right. Right. For literally over a year now. Right. But I'm not, like, I don't sit at it every night. how much actual time did you spend on right. it? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Ten hours, Not like that. like yeah. you know, me spending an a-, a day and a half on that short story for my class, I might have spent more actual minutes on it than this guy did who worked on it for a whole summer, right? Because yeah. he might have just been dicking around half the time, yeah, yeah. and staring off into space, yeah. which can be an important part of the creative process. But I don't think you get to say that means you were working on it. I mean, I don't know, but uh, like, is taking a long walk to uh, refresh your brain or to Well, now we get breathe. back to the, the thing you talked about with the writer who went to the beach and spent, yes. spent what, a week watching the trees. the trees? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess that's a good question is, does that count as writing work or not? You know, if you're not, what counts as writing? I mean, if you're I, actually actively moving your hands over I think, the keyboard? I mean, okay, I, I will recant and I will say it does count, but you don't get to make it sound like you were slaving for well, that time. Yeah, but I mean, you know. Everyone loves a martyr. I don't know. Do they? It's Easter. Everyone loves a martyr. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Send your hate mail to Morgan Baden. <laughs> Whew. All right. We just lost the Christian audience. Um, <laughs> let's but move they on. They do. They do love that martyr. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. I yeah, I just I don't, I think it's interesting how we I, I I think we subconsciously make a make an assumption that the longer somebody spends on something, the better it must be. I would That's say all. I think we make the assumption that the longer somebody spends on something to a certain level, yes. Well, and I then think, I think we hit a level where everyone rolls their eyes. Well, I also think that there's a notion that the, the, the converse is possibly more true, which is the less time it takes, the worse it is. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah, yeah. like th- that's why we have phrases like hack it out. Right. You know, Oh, he wrote, he wrote a novel in a week. It must be a piece of crap. Yeah. It's like that. Maybe he was just in the zone yeah, and, yeah. and flying high on amphetamines and did a kick-ass job. Yeah. You know, there's that, um, Forgive me, I can't quite remember the saying right now, but this idea at when you work a like a corporate office job yeah. that um, the amount of you fit the amount of work you have to do into the time you have work allotted. expands to fill the time allotted. Thank you. Yeah. There it is. So and and that is one hundred percent true. And yeah. maybe that's somewhat true with some writing as well, which yeah. is if your deadline's not until. A year from now, it's going to take you a year to write that. Yeah. But if your deadline is next month, it's going to take you a month. Yeah. I don't know. I wanted to talk very briefly, if we could, about revision. Because we talked yeah. about it the past couple episodes. And I had something of a revelation the other day okay. about revision. And realized why I have so much trouble with it. Okay. And it is, once again, one of these things where I reveal what a horrible human being I am <laughs> on this podcast. Thank God it's not searchable, you know? Like people typing <laughs> Barry Lag a bad person into Google, like they'd get all this data. Um, I realized that the the primary audience I care about when I write a book is, of course, myself. Yeah. And I'm I'm the first reader I want to to please. And, you know, somebody once said that they write books to see how they end. Mm. You know, I, I tell a story to see how it ends. And I realized I, that's not why I do it. I know how it ends. I write it to see if it works. Okay. Does, does it all fit? Does it come together? Does it work? Once I know that it does, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like 
I've made myself happy. The book is done. I proved that it works. Interesting. I'm done. So everything that comes after that ah, is just annoying. It's I like, get it. no, I already, I already got I proved to this mathematical I proved, equation. I proved it works. I got my endorphin hit and I'm done. And so, yeah. And, oh my and God, that's so you. It that's is, so it's funny. very me. It's very me. And it's interesting because, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, part of the revision process is, gee, did you think about this? Did you think about this? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Don't care. Like, <laughs> don't need it. Don't yeah. care. It works. Look, it works. Mm-hmm. I have uh, to say this, this it, for those of you listening who don't know Barry personally, or for those of you listening who know Barry personally, but have never been in an argument with him, this is probably... <laughs> Incredibly illuminating about his character because this is what happens when you argue with Barry Lega. Every point that you bring up, he says, I've already thought of that. <laughs> and it's true because he's thought of it 10 days ago before this argument even started and dismissed it. So it's it's very infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> that is the marriage portion of the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I it's interesting because I feel like, I feel like an editor... An, an editor wants to take what you have produced and make it as as palatable and as enjoyable as possible for a broad audience. Okay. That that that's that's a very short description of of an editor, and I'm sure it's a very dismissive one. I don't mean it to be that way, but but for sake of argument, that's what they want to do. And I'm at the point where I'm like, but I did it. You know, like I, I already proved it can be done. Um, you liked it. Don't you think other people will <laughs> like it? Let's just give it to them, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, no editor has ever been able to say to me, if you do this, this, and this, more people will like this. Yeah. It's because they can't, obviously. Of course. Um, until, you know until have the data. I was going to say, until they get the data from Jelly Books, <laughs> they, can't, they can't say it. So, so there's a part of me going, what's the point? Like, I am satisfied with the story. So, like... Let's just that's put it out really there. Really interesting. Um, and and so, and and I realize that's why I have so much trouble. Yeah. And it's it's not, it's a nuanced position. It's not. Oh, I'm so great. It doesn't need to change. Uh-huh. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, it works. So, let's not mess with it. It's it works. It's yeah. fine. Let's let's put it out there and see what happens. Is it because you're worried that and not maybe worried is too strong a, uh-huh. a word here, but. Uh, it, the way you're presenting it, it makes it sound as though you're very closed off to uh, input and suggestions from other people. Me? Closed off? I know. What? <laughs> what gives you that idea? No, but I guess my question is, like, is there a way to just sort of trick your brain into thinking, like, okay, it works like this, but maybe it will work 2% better if I take this person's suggestion? Well, and and usually that is what happens. Usually when I read an editorial letter, there are certain things where I go, Oh yeah, that, that'll make it better. That'll make it work better. Yeah. Right. That, you know, my whole thing is how do I make the book more of what the book already is? Okay. If that makes any sense, not changing it. How do I make the book truer to itself? Yeah. Right. How do I chase this platonic ideal of what the book is? Mm -hmm. Um, but then there are things that are suggested that, that, that seem that, that sometimes you look at it and you go, that's not going to, that's going to make it different. Yeah. I don't want it to be different. I want it to be the same, but better. Yeah. You know, and, okay. and there's a distinction between those. Yeah, things. of course. And, 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 and that I think is where, is where the conflict comes for me. Now, having had this realization, maybe my next revision 
well, you know, the next book yeah. I write, whatever it ends up being, maybe I'll have a different attitude going into it because now I'm aware of this. Right. And before I was fighting against it and I wasn't sure why I was so bothered by mm-hmm. things. And now I'll know going into it. Um, but there you go. Dude, that's some A plus like inner self work right there. It, you know what? It's because of the hard soda. Sure. It's the alcoholic ginger ale, man. That, that ginger ale is really uh, changing your world right now. Emphasis on ale. All right. Can we talk about revisions for a sec, though? Yeah, sure. I sent mine off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That's right. Yeah. We, we missed last week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah writing I, update. I finished my revision and sent it to two of the agents who requested revisions. Yes. And uh, here we are. And now you're waiting. Yeah. I am yeah, waiting. So yeah. you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're waiting. You're in a holding pattern. Yeah. Now. The, the most glorious part of being a writer. Yeah. Waiting to hear back from people. <sighs> that was an interesting revision, though. It was. I learned a lot. It was. It was. It was interesting for me to read it. Um, the strangest thing for me was reading it, and I mean, I had last read a revision of this like a year ago, I think. No, not that no. long. I don't think. No. Okay. I thought it had been about a year. No, I mean, I I just rewrote it. What you know? What I'm actually forgetting. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway, it had been a while yeah. since I had read this particular manuscript, and I was surprised that I was able to pick out sentences that were new in this really in this version. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I, I was like, wow, that's brain cycles. I'll never get back. Wow. Um, <laughs> there you go. Now, if you really want insight into how my Seriously, brain works, yeah. forget about the thing you said before. That right there tells you everything <laughs> about how my brain works. Um, no, it was interesting to see what you changed. There was one piece of advice I gave you that you obstinately refused to take. So, um, I don't remember what that is. It has to do with dolls. Oh, that's right. You had a suggestion for a scene. It was an awesome. Or like idea. a moment in a scene. It would have made the book. It actually, it's a very cool people, suggestion. People would be talking about it for years. Yeah. I just couldn't figure out where to. And, not, and, and it would have been in the movie trailer. I'm lying here. I, it's a, it, it was a very cool <laughs> suggestion. I could easily still put it in. I just didn't, to yeah. be frank. Yeah. It wasn't on my list of five major things to fix. Yeah, yeah, so, well. But anyway. Oh, anyway, well. so that's my... And so my genius goes goes begging. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's cool. And I turned in my revision right. to my editor. Wow. This is the one with all of revisions. It is, it is. Um, so that was that was cool to, to do that. And we will see what she says after she looks at it. And uh, what, are you, what are you working on right now? Are you working on anything? Uh... Sort of. Sort of. Yeah, I'm working on an essay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Famous last yeah. words. But I mean, I'm always working on an essay, but I have not uh, dived into anything new fiction-wise yet. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, I'm doing actually a lot of reading of some chapter books right now. Oh, cool. Um, because I think, I think I mentioned this before, but um, something that I had started several years ago that I want to, that I could never figure out the, the age range for. Right. Um, now I'm thinking chapter book or middle grade. So I'm, I'm reading, I'm doing some research. Cool. Yeah. I, you know, chapter books intimidate me. I, I, I have trouble writing short. Yeah. I, I have this nightmare of writing like a chapter book that's 500 pages long. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> That's everyone's nightmare. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, I am, uh. I was going to be working on a new novel, as I talked about a couple of episodes ago, but I'm waiting to see if I'm going to do another round of revision yeah, on this, this. novel. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I have been working on this comic book proposal yeah. 
that I am crossing my fingers for. Yeah. So we will see what happens with that. So probably I would say next week or the week thereafter, start working on another novel. Cool. Um, and yeah, go from there. So I had all these other things that I wanted to talk about tonight, but we are already getting getting towards the end of uh, our listeners' patience. They're so, going to kick us out of the studio any second now. Any second now. So why don't we do recommended reading slash what are you reading now? And, uh, and then bid everyone a fond farewell. Sure. So I'm reading a couple of things, including Harry Potter book six, which is just, I'm obsessed with it right now. But, uh, but that's my bedtime reading because it's a giant book that I have in, in print, hardcover. Uh, so my commute reading currently is The Witches, Salem 1692 by Stacey Schiff, which came out last year. Um, it's a, obviously a non, well, not obviously, it's nonfiction account of Salem, but, um, it's written in a way that I think hasn't been done before for this topic. Oh. It's really fascinating. Uh, it reads like fiction. Um, it is, I can't even imagine the research that she had to do for this. If you know me, you know, I love witch books. <laughs> I love witches, all things, witch. and, um, it's, yeah, it's, so if you're at all interested in history and, or witches and, or Salem and, or Puritans, I could go on and on, uh, <laughs> then check it out. Cause it's, it's really well done and wholly engrossing. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I am reading the singing bone by Beth Hahn. I love that title. It, it's a great title. It comes, it's from a German folktale. Oh. Um, and, uh, it's a debut novel. It's a sort of psychological suspense thriller type thing, but very sort of literate. Um, and uh, this is not one of the half dozen or so books that were recommended to me by readers that I was going to read. Uh, I The other day, I just had a day where I, I couldn't summon up the energy to actually do anything. And I didn't have to be watching the baby. And so I just wandered the streets of Brooklyn like a vagabond. <laughs> and I ended up at the library. And I happened upon this book. And I decided I would read it. Nice. So that's what I'm reading right now. Cool. Um, the Singing Bone by Beth Hahn, and I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm less than a hundred pages into it, but but it's going well. Cool. All right, everybody. Now it is time for me to get back to my my booze. <laughs> so we are going to bid you a fond farewell for this week. Visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast, and uh, go visit us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. The, the more people who rate and review us and give us a good rating on iTunes, the easier it is for other people to find us and join this cult that we've begun to create. So <laughs> please help out with that, and we will see you next week. Bye. Take care.